I'm Lucas Broughton, and I listen to the Arc City Podcast. I'm River Adamus, and Arc City is my ski racing podcast of choice. I'm Alexander Omakilda, and I listen to Arc City Ski Podcast. I'm Michaela Schifrin, and I listen to Arc City. And we are back and live. I'm Jimmy Krupka, and welcome to Arc City. Arc City is supported by U.S. Ski and Snowboard and officially sponsored by Spider Active Sports. Go to spider.com to learn more. And this episode is brought to you by GiveGo. GiveGo is an app on the App Store, and I'll tell you more about it later in the episode. All right. Welcome back to Arc City. It is good to have you all here, the new listeners, the old listeners. Welcome back. Thanks for visiting Arc City on this fine day. I've got an interview with Luke Winters for you today, and if you're listening to this before the Olympic slalom, that's when I'm recording it and publishing it, uh, Luke will be racing in that, and hopefully it gives you a storyline to follow and a story to put to the face that you'll ski that you'll see skiing down the hill. Luke is a, a really great guy. He's been my teammate for five years now, and I won't say too much about him. You'll you'll learn about him in the interview. He's from Gresham, Oregon, and River Radimus put it really well in, in describing Luke and had a really nice quote, so I'm going to read it. It's in his Instagram caption. Luke Winters made his Olympic debut. He won't mind me saying so, but Luke was never supposed to be here. He wasn't born with natural skiing talent. Well, I'm going to pause the quote right there for a second. Luke wasn't born with natural skiing talent, maybe, but he was definitely born with natural athletic talent, which is evident in his skiing style. River continues, he didn't come from a big ski family. Luke was born to dig ditches, but he just worked too damn hard at skiing. He and I have been through a lot through the years, and I'm really grateful to share this race with him. End quote. So without further ado, I'm going to give you Luke Winters. Before I press play, don't forget to stick around at the end. I've got a, a fun mail note as well as a little skiing history nugget, which is about the Olympics, and give some perspective on some conversation we've been having about the Olympics in the ski racing community recently. But without further ado, Luke Winters. Luke Winters, welcome to Arc City. Yeah, dude, thanks so much. This is sweet. Um, so also congrats on making it to the Olympics. Are you psyched about that? Yeah, totally. First one. Um, obviously with the smaller team, it was, you know, a little tougher this year, but yeah, I'm excited to go. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk about the Olympics. We'll get to that. I have a whole right. kind of schedule for us, but it's funny yeah. because I'm watching everyone on the U S team post pictures of themselves at ski racing age, you know, eight or something and writing about their lifelong dream of the Olympics. But you're f funny because I remember you telling me once that, you know, at age eight, you weren't really thinking of the Olympics. Like you didn't think about your future in ski racing until a lot later. You had a whole bunch of sports you were playing. Yeah, that's right. I, uh, I, I, you know, after ski season ended, you know, it was time to play baseball and then play football and then it was kind of that's the way it went for a lot of years when I was young and I enjoyed the other sports just as much as skiing. Um, so, you know, I remember watching like 2010 Bodie combined slalom. Like that's mm -hmm. one thing I really remember watching Epic. and going, Oh, wow, that was cool. Um, but yeah, I think it has come a little bit later for me as far as like the dream of, you know, or or just realizing that it's doable to go to the Olympics, to be on the ski team, to race world cup, to mm -hmm. compete with the best of the world. That came, that came a little later in life for me. This is, and this is kind of just to take a look, almost a pause here. This is kind of a funny conversation. I feel like for us, because you're my good friend. We've, uh, you know, trained together for the past five years and lived together for, you know, much of that time. Um, so some of this stuff we've talked about before, but I'm actually interested because I don't think I've ever asked you, like, do you have like a moment when the 
Olympic dream like sparked in you when you're like, yes, I want to go to the Olympics? Um, I would say if there was one, it would, it would be, it would probably be, I guess maybe that in 2010, I just remember sitting upstairs and watching that race and going, Oh, that'd be cool to do. Um, but it was, it was more so like, Oh, that'd be cool to do. You know, let's go, let's go play baseball out in the field with neighbors kind of thing. Like didn't really focus on it for too long. So I, you know, I don't really have one moment that I look back on and say, Oh, that's when it really sparked. Um, but you know, there's a couple gain momentum. Yeah, it did. And there's a cup, there's a couple, there's a couple times, um, you know, a couple experiences like that one, uh, that I remember. And I think that just, it just kind of built upon those. Um, and then, you know, getting closer to being able to make the ski team. And that's when it really like became more of a reality for me. Um, and it actually kind of sparked, I would say more so then, cause it was like attainable. It was an attainable goal instead of just like a dream. Yeah. And then you mentioned your childhood. I know your childhood was like a lot of like messing around, like with ball sports, like you mentioned, like um, messing around on skis and dirt bikes. And like, do you think that this contributed to your success, success athletically? I think for sure. I was obviously super lucky um, to be able to just do a lot of different things, obviously play sports, but not only that, you know, we grew up on, um, about nine acres here in Oregon and kind of had free roam to go do whatever we wanted to do in the forest. And, and my, my parents own an excavation company. So I was on those machines from a super young age and my dad would bring a machine home and I would go hop on it and spend hours building a dirt bike track and ride it and build jumps. And so yeah, I think doing all those things when I was young or, or, or fishing or hunting, um, I was super lucky to do all those things. And I think, you know, that, that allowed me to, you know, put myself in situations to just fail, um, and then do it all over again, which for sure has helped me in my ski career. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I have always thought if I was, a 60 minutes reporter and you know how they you know you watch the 60 minutes on Bodie and they go to his his house in the woods and he says this is where I did this this is where I did this I'd love to be like I'm Jimmy Krupka welcome to 60 minutes we're visiting <laughs> Luke Winter's childhood home and here is his dirt bike track here is his shed with his uh, ATVs you know and go yeah. through the whole thing because when I visited your house for the first time it was, it, we had, we all had a blast cause there's so much to do. And we were like, Oh, like this would be fun growing up, you know, messing around. Yeah. Here. Um, and, is there and anything, you know, yeah, go. growing up, growing up with a twin brother too, it was, I always had someone to do all this stuff with. And obviously we had some really close friends that were always over. We kind of had the house where all the friends came to our house and we just messed around. Um, so yeah, you know, we, we had good friends and I had my brother to do all this crazy stuff with as well. Yeah. It seems like your brother played a a big role in all that. Um, is he, is he stoked for you? Is he ever like, Oh man, like I, I was Luke's twin. I wish I could have been as good at skiing or or whatever. Oh, he still talks about his comeback. Watch his kids. I can do that. (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, he's, he's stoked. He's for sure stoked. Um, and I don't, I don't think he really wishes or anything that he would have stuck with it longer. It just happens how it happens. And, you know, he, he loves what he's doing. He's running a company in Bend and, um, you know, still skiing and they're still going through college. They still skied a bunch and had a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, it's just two different paths. And he actually technically is a pro skier, right? You know, he gets paid by Atomic or whatever, right? To post some pictures. Yeah. Yeah, we could say that. (laughs) 
but oh it's okay let's get back to the machinery heavy machinery because <laughs> you know I, uh, when i've traveled with you the running joke has kind of become uh you know whenever luke sees a construction site that's particularly large he goes oh that's a big job and, <laughs> and we always give you crap um luke is that a big job that looks like a big job um when you get excited about construction sites um but you've grown up around heavy machinery. It makes sense that you get excited about construction sites. Uh, and I know you kind of take pride in your skill in machinery and you go back and work in the rock pit every year. Uh, and I don't know, you want to talk about that and how that's a part of your life? Yeah. I th Cause uh, well, cause I the thing I want to point out is like, uh, it's not a part of a lot of ski racers lives. Right. And you know, it was, obviously that's something different that I've been able to do. Um, and not everyone has that opportunity, right? Not everyone has, has this equipment, like from the time they were five years old, just kind of sitting around, you know, going to work with my dad. And that's just kind of what we did. You just get in equipment you start loading dump trucks, you start helping out. And next thing you know, you're like able to do it all. Um, which is super fun for me. I, I actually really enjoy it. And, and also I, I feel like people get so stuck, um, doing, doing one thing or like focusing just on ski racing for so long and you can get burned out. And for me at the end of a ski season, I'm like, Oh, I just want to go like sit on a dozer and dig a pond or do <laughs> something fun, do something fun for a week. It, it, it just kind of, you know, people can go on vacation and unplug. It's like, I can go, go work and go do something else and unplug. And it's also fun too, you know, being, whether you're, you're doing a job with a couple other guys and it's, it's similar. It's a similar thing as ski racing or being a part of any team, you know, you're working together yeah. as a team, everyone has their role. Um, and you just get the job done. So I I've enjoyed it. I, uh, I, I enjoy coming home after a ski season and just doing something different. So, you know, that it helps me, it helps me kind of unplug and then build momentum for like the next ski camp. So, yeah. I like that. Are there, is there anybody you've worked with who's kind of had an impact on you, um, or given you perspective? Um, I, I mean, I'd really say probably my dad the most in, in that world. Mm -hmm. And then, and then Cody now, you know, it's so fun to go over and work with Cody cause he's just going a million miles an hour. We're pretty different. Yeah. Um, as far as the way, you know, we do things and it's fun to go and see him just <laughs> running around doing, doing big jobs. <laughs> yeah. Cause Cody, your twin brother started his own, um, yeah. company, right? Yeah. 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 That's cool. Uh, so let's, let's, get into you as a skier. I'll give the people who don't know Luke winners a quick back, give, give them a quick background on you. You have a bronze in the world junior super G in Davos 2018. Uh, you're a solid GS skier with a few world cup starts in that discipline, but ultimately you're a slalom skier right now. Your first, uh, world cup season was the 1819 <clears throat> season and your first world cup points were in the 2019 season opener. Actually, when you got second on the first run in Val and you've had a career best result, 10th in Adelboden last month. And uh, I think that catches everybody up on the basics. Anything you want to add? No, that's it. Okay. And then recently you've had some wild runs. Uh, the first run in Wengen this year was insane. I can't believe you made it down that one. Both runs in Schladming was just like connected recoveries, it felt like. the whole We were watching... Yeah on the TV and we were just, Oh my God, the whole time. Um, yeah. so was that, was that you like sending it? Were you like, okay, I'm sick of, I want to go faster. I'm just going to send it. Or was that kind of sloppy skiing? Where does that fall? Uh, so this year I've kind of gone through like a, uh, a few different things with how I like approach, um, the start I'd say. And, you know, in Val d'Isere, obviously on first runs, like you've got to ski hard, um, to get in there. 
And I had some mistakes in Val which was a World Cup opener this year. And then second run, I was like, I just skied slow, but I didn't really have any mistakes. Um, and I moved back to whatever, 25th place or 26. I, I, I'm not sure what it was. Anyways, you know, I was pretty pissed at myself for, for not sending it on second run. And so I said, I'm just not, I'm not going to do that anymore. And uh, I figured some stuff out with my boots and, and just felt really comfortable to like push it all the time and be able to like use my athleticism, um, which before I, I felt like I couldn't really do as much. I felt like I had to control things, but now, you know, I feel comfortable with my skiing and, and like confident that I can make the recoveries when I need to. Um, and the skiing is still going to be fast. So, uh, yeah, you know, in, in Alabod and I just tried to, I just tried to push it. I had a good first run. And then I said, I'm not skiing slow here. Second run. And, you know, I didn't really care about the result. I just wanted to go out of the start gate, like with a lot of intensity. And, and then that worked out and I kind of just built some momentum, um, like not really caring, you know, how I was skiing, but just, going fast. So yeah. in, in, in Schladming, I, I had a little bit of trouble um, with my skis and grip on the first run. I had too much grip because it, it was pretty icy, but with that chatter, uh, mm -hmm. with the chatter and groove, I was getting caught up everywhere and I felt like I couldn't really get off the edge. Um, so I think some of the recoveries were from that. And then second run, I also, you know, had a little bit of trouble with grip. Um, and so recovering from that, but yeah, I think it's good to be able to use, you know, I want to be able to use my athleticism and that's one yeah. way is just, you know, kind of reacting to the movements. Um, and sometimes it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's fun to see you use your athleticism because I know, you know, what your athleticism, what you're capable of with it. Um, and back in our D team days, we, we called you cool hand Luke. Uh, mo mainly because of, of your ability to kind of stay cool and perform on race day at what seemed to be a higher rate than other guys on the team. And, I mean, do you think that's just your athleticism or do you think it's something mentally, some race day approach that you take? You got an insight on that? I never I never really thought about this much, um, but a couple people have, have asked this question and, and I've thought about it a little bit more and I, I can – really the only thing I can point, point it back to is like doing, doing so much when I was young and always just go, 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 like picking up and going and doing this crazy, you know, whatever it was, some like some trip that wasn't planned at all. And, um, or dirt biking, you know, you, you're making decisions, mm -hmm. um, you're dealing with stress, you're so, I think that's really what I can contribute it back to is like doing a lot of different things and having to adapt and have, you know, being put under pressure and then just like kind of like high risk form. sports or just high pressure situations, just putting yourself yeah. into both of those situations. I mean, they're, they weren't really high pressure when I was young, but it was more just, I feel like not a lot of kids are doing those kind of things these days but yeah i'd say like more high high pressure situations i guess and just having to act and react and um i think that's that's what i would point it back to uh really and and then lately uh you know me and you have talked about we in the summertime here like going going dirt biking going to mountain view i grew up grew up mm -hmm. riding dirt bikes but i didn't for a long time because i didn't have time and two years ago I, I bought a dirt bike and I was like, you know, this is going to be really good for my skiing. And I, th I think it was, um, yeah. I mean, so I, I've seen you hit 80 foot jumps on the dirt bike. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I think obviously there's a risk of getting hurt, but there's a risk of getting hurt doing anything. And, you know, you got to be able to manage it and, and assess it, but also, um, go do it. Yeah. And this is a fun conversation to have because a lot of skiers go, I'm not going to do anything that could um, get me injured for skiing. And I'm, I think you and I are probably on a similar, um, you know, wavelength where it, we think 
you got to push limits. And if you spend all summer just working out and not pushing limits, then you're just that part of your brain gets rusty and you're not having yeah. fun. So like when we were, when we were surfing in that surf and, and I think jet hit the bottom pretty hard. And, and when we were hitting those big jumps and I crashed pretty hard dirt biking, it, it kind of feels like a necessary thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's for sure the way I look at it. Uh, you gotta, yeah, like you said, people, people just focus on one thing and you gotta, you gotta push you gotta push yourself in other parts of your life too, I think, to be able to take the necessary risk in, in ski racing. Yeah. You can't kill yourself doing, doing stupid stuff. No, absolutely. But you learn, you kind of learn what the boundaries are and then you go do it. Exactly. And knowing where the limit is, that's really where, you know, performing lies. So it was, it was fun watching, uh, you, Ben and Jet start, what is, what was it like 43, 44, 45 in a bunch of world cups this year. It was almost too much excitement having three American (laughs) guys back to back to back. Uh, and, and so this is for those who don't have the background info on this, this is kind of the rebuilding quote unquote of the slalom team, because when it was, uh, Chudunsky, Ankeny, Guinness, Engel, uh, you know, and, uh, um, uh, Roberts all kind of gunning for world cup points. Uh, what was that five years ago or something? Uh, ultimately the U S decided to basically stop the slalom team effort and rebuild with you and jet seymour and ben ritchie and you were the first one to score points in like two years and since then you know ben scored points jets had some second runs what's it like being on like the vanguard of this effort to reestablish american slalom uh i would i would say obviously you know, obviously it's super cool to be a part of, but at the same time, like, you know, I think it's taken longer to learn because we don't really have, we don't have somebody there to ask questions. You Mm -hmm. like, you make the mistakes and then you don't get another try at that hill for another year where if we, if we had somebody with experience, it could be a little different, but you can look at it the other way. And, you know, the way I kind of look at it is, I'm learning all this kind of on my own as I go. And yeah, it might take longer, but I feel like the, you know, I'll have a better understanding of, of why I'm doing it and why, you know, why this happened. You kind of think, you kind of think more You're about it. it yourself, I guess, right. Learning it myself and anything you learn yourself or you have to learn yourself, you're going to understand better. So I kind of look at it that way now, you know, I don't have, we don't have anybody who's older, who's, you know, well-established on the Psalm circuit. Um, so it's kind of us. So yeah, it's, and it's, it's so fun being able to have Ben and jet and those guys just absolutely rip, um, in training and I can barely keep up with them most days. I've heard that. Um, so yeah. Like tell me about these guys. Cause they're, I've heard that they're extremely fast in training. They're starting to near like fastest in the world in training or something like that. Uh, but they're just a step behind you in terms of results. So yeah, tell me about Ben. Yeah, it, it takes time, obviously. Um, ben, I've always said Ben is like, when he came, when he was 15 years old, you know, five years ago, I was just like, holy cow, how does he ski like this? You know, he, he just mm-hmm. perfect saw him, I thought, technically. Um, and Jet too, you know, Jet has his own style. Would he like, I can't believe the way he can like bend bend those skis and just link turns all the way down a pitch. And, you know, I'm a little bit different. I'm not, I don't link as well and a little bit more wild and maybe not as, as like technically sound. Um, but you know, they're going to do it soon. And Mm -hmm. in training, like you said, yeah, they're just, they, they rip in training. Ben is like, I'm like, shit, these guys ever (laughs) have bad days in training. I feel like every other day for me, I'm like, going out and struggling with skis, which we all struggle totally. Um, but it's, it's for, it's great to have two more guys, you know, we all get along super well and are able to like push each other in training. And they definitely push me, um, because they're usually beating me in training. (laughs) So, 
yeah, you know, it's other than, other than it just takes time. I think, I think they're, they're close. Um, and we're all close and we have some good momentum to, to build on. Mm -hmm. And as you're kind of right there in, in getting amongst it amidst the world's best and you see, you know, you've always heard stories about how the Americans can be fast in training. We talk, you talk about, you know, Will Brandenburg was like one of the fastest guys ever in training, but he never really had a big world cup result. What is it? Like, what are you starting to see? Like, oh, that is the mark of a successful World Cup skier, whether they're podiuming or winning or whatever. Yeah, uh, c consistency for me ha has been a problem, but like not consistency in finishing, finishing, but just consistency in good skiing. And I, this year I've, I've realized more and, and, you know, it just takes time too. And and like it's come to me more so this year um, to have like I found a couple things that just helped me a lot uh, in the start gate. And it mm -hmm. like like I like I was saying earlier, the fact of just just trusting myself and being able to recover like I'm more comfortable doing that now. And um, I guess have found a couple things to find more consistency in my approach, not necessarily like, not necessarily just perfect skiing, but more so my approach and just some things to, to keep my approach super consistent. And then once I push out of the start gate, like, yeah, it's wild, but it all feels kind of normal. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's what those top guys do. You know, they, they obviously are all insanely good skiers, but everyone has a different style, but there's something that they can do every single day to, keep them in the top seven. Um, and you know, they don't have to have their best day every race because that alone is like tiring. It wears on you, you know, to, to have to focus so much and have your best day every race. Like those guys are consistent enough to where they push out of the start gate and, you know, maybe they don't have to ski a hundred percent to be in the top 10 that day. Um, mm -hmm. and so I think that's kind of where, where you, where you kind of start to get to once you, once you build that kind of momentum. That's really interesting. And I think a lot of, at least American ski racing culture, people tend to think that race day has to be your absolute best run. And then second round has to be your absolute best run ever skied. And people spend so much time talking about, uh, the, the psychological, like how, how you can use sports psych to just put down your best run every time. But it's cool to hear that maybe the like world cup successful world cup skiers are more just limiting their bad days in always coming out consistently and then occasionally they'll have their great days uh, but it's not this sorry oh good i'm gonna pause quickly here for an ad it's give go it's an app on the app store it's the world's easiest and most effective way to connect with and learn from professional athletes there's over 500 experts in more than 10 different sports, and it empowers you to receive personalized feedback quickly. In skiing, it's usually within a few minutes. Uh, from athletes and pros you, you look up to, potentially. I've been an expert on GiveGo since the spring, and I love it. It's super simple. You upload a clip, probably already on your phone, and you tell me what you're working on. I give you personalized feedback, and I can draw on the screen, play and pause, and record my perspective all through GiveGo's technology. It's easy, effective, affordable, and kind of fun. Download GiveGo from the App Store and use ArcCity, A-R-C-C-I-T-Y, for 50% off to start connecting with me and then some real big names like Alice Merriweather, Stephen Nyman, and more. All right, back to the show. All right. Um, oh, yeah, I was just saying... Um, you know, it's just consistency and it's not necessarily these guys are going out there and performing their absolute best every time. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. Like you to be in the top seven, I, I don't really know how many world cup points exactly, but it's like, you got to have a lot of world cup points over 200 for sure. Um, and then once you, once you get in there for the next year, you know, your world cup start list points, it like, kind of keeps you in there you don't need to be pod you don't need to have podiums every race to stay in the top seven like you 
are just got to be consistently getting top 15s and then have an occasional yeah. great great race um and they're for sure protected definition of trust the process i guess yeah i think so all right let's talk olympics because this is exciting obviously uh and and first actually you know as we transition into talking about the olympics but we were just talking about ben and jet uh your your teammates with you this year are you bummed not to have them with you i'm guessing it'll be it'll feel a little different it's the first time we haven't well especially this year we've we've been everywhere together this year um and i'm for sure bummed to to only have one guy in the slalom um we'll see who who else is able to jump in um but to not have ben and jet there it's a bummer you know um but i think i think they're doing all right and they they know that uh it just takes time and and their time will come but i'm for sure bummed and like i'm always going around to their rooms at night and <laughs> messing, messing with them and it's good to have them um so we'll see but you know as a ski racer you always end up on your own somewhere or another so i think we're all used to it yeah exactly at the end of the day sometimes it's just just you yeah so you fly february 4th we have to do a quarantine in la before you actually fly right yeah two day two day quarantine i think there's some like uh uniforming stuff going on in la so i'll have that to do and then we'll fly yeah then i'll fly the fourth um, and be there from the fourth to the 18th or so, I think. So pretty good chunk of February. Yeah. Enough time to, to get on the time zone, I guess. So have you, have you heard the stories from the ski cross athletes? Uh, cross no. athletes? no, I haven't. So, uh, and this is just me doing some sensationalist journalism and raising hysteria. But <laughs> apparently when they, when the border cross or ski cross or both, and this is, I heard this story secondhand. So again, bad journalism, but it, it's basically what I heard was when the, uh, the team landed to go to their test event in, in China, they were taken into like this holding room, the whole team and just left there for like eight hours had to do with the way they were processing them into the country or something. And people naturally in a room after eight hours have to go to the bathroom. So people were trying to figure out how to go to the bathroom in this, in this room with no windows. And, and, uh, finally they got on a bus after all of that. Uh, and they shut down the whole highway all the way to wherever mountain they were going. And it was just this wild, wild experience <laughs> that just kind of demonstrated, uh, you know, China and authoritarianism and all that. I don't want to say too much or else China's going to strike me down. Um, but have you, have you heard anything? Is there anything that, that makes you a little nervous about going to China? Well, I think, well, you know, I love good stories and that's a great story. Um, yeah. but I haven't heard, I haven't heard anything like that. I mean, I, I was at a test event, right? I think so. The, yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure they were, I'm sure they were figuring things out there. I, I haven't, I, I, heard, I heard the process is pretty quick actually now. Okay. Um, as far as getting off the plane and getting on the bus, it like takes a half hour or something like that. Um, so I, I haven't heard any horror stories yet this year, but, um, I, I you know, it sounds like everything's kind of going smooth so far but you know what or never know what what's gonna happen you never know what can happen just don't test positive i guess right yeah that's the goal that wouldn't be fun yeah any idea what the opening ceremonies are gonna be like are you gonna be there for them i'm not i, I think they're on the fourth and i'm flying the fourth uh okay i i would assume the other guys are going because they're gonna be there but you know i Beijing is a couple hours away from where the where the alpine skiing is and where we're going to be right. skiing staying so I'm not sure who's all going to make it for opening ceremonies but yeah I, and I haven't been told about any of that uh yet so I and I assume I'm not going because obviously I'm flying a day late yeah and and then so the events you're racing 
you qualified in the slalom. Are you racing anything else? Um, I'm racing as of now. Yes. I'm racing the GS, uh, and obviously the slalom, and then we'll see how Tommy's feeling. Um, and the, the team event is there as well. I'm pretty bummed actually about the super combined cause I'm not eligible with downhill points to do that, uh. but that would be my, you know, one of my best events as well, but yeah, that's how it goes. Really put it down and, and, and the team event is a parallel giant slalom, right? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Well, that'll be, that'll be fun to watch. And it's nice that the U S is fielding a team this year because did we fill the team four years ago? I don't think so. We didn't do very well if we did. That's for sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't really remember watching or I remember watching it. I don't remember the U S in it. I mean, maybe we got knocked out early on, but it's also, you know, it's, it's the last event and I think people are probably tired after doing so many events for so long. They don't want to stay for it, but I'll be there. (laughs) He'll be there. If I have to, hopefully, hopefully I'll be there. Yeah. I don't test positive. Then you'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> what what have you heard about the snow? From what I've heard, it's it's like pretty grippy. It's kind of like Colorado, dry. Really cold, grippy. Um, I think they, uh, you know, I've heard trying trying to water, but obviously with the wind and the super cold weather, it like dries it out just like it does in cop in copper in the early season. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I would assume I would assume it's similar to uh, like watered copper. Which it's is kind of why, what I've heard and what I've seen. Yeah, which is why there were a few Europeans coming over to Copper uh, Tech Skiers this year, despite not having any tech races in North America. They came over to Copper and, and trained on the snow, and, and I think that's what they were getting at, is trying to get some more time on, on dry snow like that. And <clears throat> have you seen the hill? I've seen, yeah, photos of it. I can't really tell if, like how steep it is yeah um, i was gonna say the slalom the slalom hill i didn't really look super closely but it you know it looks like it's kind of moderate maybe with a pitch at the bottom um but it's just so hard to tell from the from the uh from the photos and i, I you know i have heard that some of the the race venues are shorter than usual i don't know if that's true for the slalom as well hmm. but I mean, it, it, the slalom is going to be interesting. I same thing as you. It, from what I can tell, it's it's like a moderate pitch and then like a ninety degree turn onto a slightly steeper pitch, but not a whole lot of terrain rolls, any more really real undulations in the snow. So it could just be a total, you know, shootout going everyone going all out and everyone within a second of each other or something like that. Yeah, yeah, which would be good for me. Yeah. Just send it. I mean, the World Cup slalom season this year has been insane. I'm gonna. I I got the stats written down here. I want to talk about this. Six races, six different winners, um, and then 15 different people on the podium. Only three of those have been on the podium twice, or only three people have been on the podium twice. Manny Feller, who hasn't won a race, uh, Christopher Jakobsen, who also hasn't won a race, and then. Broughton, who struggled and then ended up winning a race. And then you've got Clement Noel, who's lights out when he's finishing. You've got Seb Fossolvag, world champ, also unbeatable when he's on. You've got, I mean, it's insane the lineup you've got. You've got probably 15 different guys that could win a World Cup or a um, 16 if you count Luke winners. Uh, <laughs> so like, like, tell me what it's been like to be a part of, of this statistically, it's been a historic world cup slalom season. Yeah. People, people talk about how different it has been. And like, especially without Hirscher, like mm-hmm. if you take Hirscher out of the mix and when he was just know, dominating he, and winning when by he, a second. when yeah. he was dominating, most of the focus was on him. So you never, uh, you know, maybe you'd we didn't pay as much attention to who was in second and third. Um, but now he's not here and we don't have like a consistent, a consistent winner, which is super cool. Like we, 
and and as you can see like you can win or be on the podium from really anywhere um in the second round because it's been so tight so i think it's it, it is interesting they're always they always seem to be like nail biters um and a lot of a lot of guys are like going out too on the second run. Um, yeah. So. Does yeah, it seem like know. people are 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 pushing the limits more in slalom than they have before? Because there's been more DNFs, but there's also been more wild winners. Yeah, I I I can't point to one thing. I, I'm not really sure if people are pushing more. Um, it's just how this crazy sport goes, I guess. So if you could choose one person aside from yourself who you think is most likely to win the gold, who would it be? Who would it be? Um, I would say, I would say I kind of want to vote for Feller. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's been skiing crazy fast. Like, you know, for the, for the last, he's, he's had obviously a lot of success, but like, was up and down a little bit. Um, and he, I think he's skiing really fast and able to do it. And obviously you have guys like Clement who, you know, on their days they can win by a second. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of depending on the snow, obviously it suits, suits different athletes, but Clement or, or Feller. Okay. We'll lock in your answers and, and see what happens. All right. Do you have any goals for China outside of skiing, like food-related goals or meeting athletes from other sports? You thought about any of that? Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to just being up there and and meeting other athletes. Like we get so locked in to just alpine skiers, and people think that like Team USA, we train all together, but that's not how it goes at all. You know, we're we're with our sport, and that's about it. Like you know, we, we really don't know many people from other sports, obviously some from cross country and, and, and freestyle, like people who are, who are at the COE in the summer. Um, but I, I love meeting people. I love getting to know different people. Um, and so that, yeah, that's something that I'm looking forward to. Yeah. I mean, Sean White's going to be there. You ever met Sean White? No. Yeah, I mean, that would be cool. Sean White, Chloe Kim. I mean, yeah. the list goes on. For sure. Ho- hopefully it's not too locked down to where we can actually, you know, go. Which I, I think it I think it will be. We'll, you know, it seems like it's pretty open in the village, so we'll see. Yeah, and then there's the J- the Jamaican bobsled team that I, uh, I think Bryce Bennett met them recently. Yeah, I saw, I saw something similar to that. That's cool. Yeah. Cool runnings. Cool runnings. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, Luke, we're nearing the end, but the I always give my guests an opportunity to uh, plug a sponsor or sell an idea or promote. I don't know. Say anything they want. Thank their fans. Say anything you want. I here's the floor is yours. Um, off the top of my head, I really. I really got nothing. Follow me on Instagram, I guess. <laughs> what are you? What is um, it? Just at Luke Winters, Luke D Winters, Luke, Luke D Winters. Yeah, um, and yeah, no, it was great, great talking to you. And I don't think we've been on an actual podcast other than a couple little uh, smoothie reviews at the COE. The smoothie club back fun. at the COE. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, well, no, I got the nothing. inaugural Luke and Jimmy podcast. Awesome. Well, we are wishing Luke the absolute best in his Olympic slalom debut tonight. If you're listening before then, it is tonight. And I have no doubt that Luke will be sending it. Watching him race the last couple of races, he has gone all out. Sometimes to his detriment, but it's been all out. Now, we are starting to wrap the show up. I've got something from the mailroom for you. Uh, Recently, in one of the skiing history nuggets, I talked about 
different kinds of wax and different kinds of base materials and what was fast and what was slow and the whole progression of it. Anyway, I got a message from a Marcus who said, you asked for interesting wax alternatives. So when I was a U12, my dad's my dad used rain X on my bases. It's what they put on a windshield to prevent rain from sticking. And it really made my skis go faster. Whether it was bad for the skis was un- unimportant, LOL. So that's a fun one. And I imagine uh, as a rain repellent, it's got some hydrophobic qualities and it probably was really fast. So I'm not recommending it. This isn't a, a doctor's note to go try it, but that's a fun one. I've also heard WD-40. Who knows? Oh, oh, do you hear that? I think you know what that means. It's time for the Skiing History Nugget. All right, this is from a book called Forgotten History. It's about the Olympics and these funny, interesting stories that people have kind of forgotten. One thing that people have forgotten is the fact that the Olympics used to be for amateurs only. And a lot of competition actually was. If you were a ski instructor, sometimes you weren't allowed to compete in a ski race because you were considered a pro. They had this really strict separation of amateur and pro. The Olympics were for the amateurs. And this came to a head in the early 70s. There was a man named Avery Brundage running the IOC from 52 to 72. And during the 72 games, there was a man named Karl Schranz, a 33-year-old Austrian skiing legend, favorite to win the downhill, world champion. He'd won every major skiing honor except the Olympic gold. And the 72 games were the last chance to achieve his dream. Three days before the Olympics started, Schranz was banned for accepting sponsorship offers. He was reportedly making $40,000 a year, $250,000 in current dollars, and so while this was the most that anybody else was making, it, it's he was the only one to get banned. He kind of became this scapegoat. And he was rightly miffed about it. And he said, quote, If we followed Mr. Brundage's recommendations to their true end, the Olympics would be a competition only for the very rich. No man of ordinary means could ever afford to excel in this sport. When he returned home from the Olympics after not competing, he had a huge hero's welcome, unlike any other ever seen in Vienna. A hundred thousand people lined the streets from the airport to the city. It was a bigger crowd than JFK or Queen Elizabeth ever received. In 1988, the IOC decided that Schranz deserved some sort of compensation, so they reinstated him symbolically gave him some symbolic medal to mark his participation in those games. But obviously it doesn't make up for the fact that, you know, the IOC made a pretty big mistake. But it's cool to see where things have gone. Obviously, the Olympics can make certain people a lot of money, and there are certain Cinderella stories that can happen. And it's a pertinent issue today, I think, and we've had a lot of conversations in ski racing about the purpose of the Olympics and is Olympics about representing a nation or having the highest form of competition or what is it about? The streak of amateurism in the Olympics is only kept alive now by the fact that you can't have all your sponsors on your suit and still some athletes complain about that. They say, you know, I, the same argument that Carl Strawn said, I should be able to have the sponsors on my suit because they're the ones paying for this dream and paying for my season. It's a conversation for another time, but I think it's a fun nugget and definitely brings up some interesting ideas. And with that, we have reached the end of our episode here today. Thank you for listening to those who have said hi to me in the past couple weeks. Thank you. It's it's always fun to talk to listeners and I get new ideas and you get a sticker usually because I've got plenty of stickers on me. Just ask me for one if you see me and keep sending me emails and messages. Let's keep the conversation going. Until then, dream about arcs, ski some arcs if you can, and I will see you right back here in Arc City next time. Thanks for visiting and ski you later.